welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 376 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not only asked you to agree with me, I'm asking you to hear me out. It would be naive to make a grand conclusion about the NBA season off of week one. As we know in sports, anything can happen to a team. People can be traded. Injuries can happen. Of course, we don't wish injuries upon anybody, but injuries can happen. You never know. It it wouldn't be smart to base your entire season on week one of the NBA season. But going into week one of the NBA season, there was a lot of things that I needed to see. You had a lot of movement this offseason. We talk about Damian Lillard. We talk about Bradley Beal. We talk about Chris Paul. There was a lot of things that I needed to see week one. And while no, I'm not making any general claims. I'm not making any grandioso claims of how the season is going to go. What I am going to do is tell you guys about the things that I needed to see week one and how I feel about things that I saw. Let's first start with Damian Lillard. That was the that was the major move that happened this offseason. Of course, Damian Lillard in a multiple team deal going to the Bucks. Now, since that's happened, I've talked about Damian Lillard at nauseum about how this affects the Bucks, how this affects Damian Lillard, how this affects Chris, oh, not Chris Milton, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, how this affects Portland. I talked about the trade at nauseum. In fact, I did a whole, pretty much a whole episode on damn near that trade alone. But what I wanted to see was exactly how Damian Lillard looks alongside Giannis Antetokounmpo. I knew that it was probably going to work because, like I said before, when you talk about Giannis, if you compare Giannis with any player in the NBA, any player who would be the perfect pair for him i said it would be steph curry the way that steph curry can dominate with the ball without the ball the way that of course steph curry is the greatest shooter we've ever seen and it just opens up a part of the floor that for Giannis that he hasn't really seen before now you can't really double and triple team Giannis to because you have someone like steph curry i think steph curry would have been the perfect pairing and fit to alongside Giannis number two on that list was Damian Lillard for all the things that I said about Steph Damian Lillard is that on a lesser scale not too much lesser but a lesser scale than Steph we know Damian Lillard's ability to hit shots we know Damian Lillard's ability to hit threes we know Damian Lillard's ability to attack a defense on at all aspects of the game so pairing them together I just needed to see how it was going to look. I needed to see exactly how they were going to implement. Because, mind you, what people forget is the Bucks also have a new coach. So there was a lot of newness in Milwaukee that I just needed to see. And after seeing game one, they beat the Philadelphia 76ers, I think 118 to 117 or something like that, or 108 to 107. Everything that I needed to know was answered in that game. Everything that I've been talking about 
this entire time after the trade is exactly what we saw game one. Now, no, I'm not saying that this is going to permeate throughout the entire season, but what I needed to see was who was going to take a back seat. People talk about when you hear that term, take a back seat, there's always a negative connotation to it. There's always a negative feeling when you say, oh, you have to take a back seat. But in sports on a team, there's no way that you can have two alphas. No way. Uh, uh, let me say this. On the let's let's just let's just keep it the basketball. There's no way on a basketball court that you can have two dominant alphas. You can have two alphas, but you can't have two dominant alphas. Let me give you an example. There have been two perfect examples of this. The Miami Heat, when LeBron James went and Dwayne Wade had to take a back seat, and the Golden State Warriors, when Kevin Durant came, Steph Curry had to take a back seat. Do we look at Steph Curry any differently? Or did Steph Curry's skills decrease because he took a back seat? No. He understands. You have to understand. What is the goal? When you bring someone on to a team, like a LeBron James, like a Kevin Durant, in this situation, like a Damian Lillard, what is the goal? The goal isn't just to win a bunch of games. The goal is to win a championship. And someone like Steph Curry understands, all right, the best way to win a championship, we're not, we can't take shots. We can't take opportunities away from Kevin Durant because that in the, in the long run is going to hurt us. Dwayne Wade understands, we know who LeBron James is. While I have roots here in Miami, and of course that people consider this quote-unquote my team, I understand that if we want to get to where we need to go, LeBron James has to be the center of this. Steph Curry understands if we need to get to where we want to go, Kevin Durant has to be the center of this. I needed to see who was going to take a back, if Giannis was able to take a back seat. Or was Dame able to take a back seat? Honestly, both of them, whoever's leading this car, is well capable. In game one, we saw it. I needed to see which one was going to take a back seat. And, and I know Giannis came out and said that this is Damian Lillard's team. I don't know about that, but I do know that Damian Lillard scored 39 points game one. Torched the Philadelphia 76ers. Just, just straight torched him. And Giannis, I think he had like 23 and 13 or something like that. I, what I, this is going to work. Of course, barring any injury, knock on wood, I hope nobody gets injured. This is going to work. And the questions that I had, if, let me say it like this. There's a difference between compiling a bunch of good players and building a good team. You can compile you can come com, you can build 
Well, let me say this. You can compile a bunch of good players, but that doesn't ultimately mean you have a good team. And the thing that those play, it's, it's like a two-way thing. Of course, management has to build the team, but players have to buy into what's going on. And as we saw game one, Giannis bought in. Damian Lillard bought in. Now, again, this is game one. You never know what's going to happen in the season. I'm going to stress that precipitously this episode. But, again, I, you know you know what? You know who Damian Lillard, another thing that I saw. You know what Damian Lillard's arrival to Milwaukee, you know who it affects the most? Chris Middleton. For the long, well, since Chris Milton has been in Milwaukee alongside Giannis, it has been well known that he is the only player, or he was the only player on that team that can consistently create his own shot off the dribble, jump shot. Now, we know Giannis is a great north and south player. He's able to get to the rim. He's able to use his force, his aggressiveness, his, his body to get to the cup. So we know Giannis is probably one of the most unstoppable players as far as getting to the rim. But when we incorporate a jump shot and when we talk about dribbling the ball and we talk about, you know, breaking down a defender, Chris Middleton was the only person on that team that was able to do that. The key to the Bucks championship window right now is, is Chris Milton going to be able to buy in? And what does buy-in mean for him? That's another thing that nobody ever really talks about. Buy-in looks different for different people. Buying in looks different for different people. Damian Lillard buying in looks completely different than Giannis buying in. Damian Lillard buying in looks completely different than Chris Milton buying in. Chris Middleton is now there's okay so another thing that people don't understand is when people say that you're a second or third option what exactly that means obviously it means that if there's a last second play the first option is obviously the best player or the or the best shooter or whatever a second option, you know, it, it, it's tears from there. But on a on a on a bigger scale, this the first option usually gets the most shots. If you want to talk about Golden State, Steph Curry is the first option. He gets the most shots. Nobody trips that the first option takes as many shots because they understand how good of a player that person is. On the Milwaukee Bucks. Damian Lillard is the first option at this point. The second option still takes a bunch of shots, but not as much. And another thing that people don't really understand is the second option's shots kind of get criticized a little more, not as much, but a little more as the first option. If you want to go back to the Golden State comparison, Clay Thompson is the second option. Nobody the other night, and we're going to talk about this in a second. But the other night, they played Phoenix. Steph Curry went like six for 23. Nobody talks about it. You know what they talk about? Klay Thompson went like 
three, six for 18 or three for 18 is like, yo, Clay Thompson shot them out the game, you know? The second option takes not as many shots, but is looked to to be if if the first option is not going well, the second option you take it. Third option is pretty much, hey, we need you when we need you. Be ready when we need you. Chris Middleton has never done that. He's never been that. Especially for this Milwaukee Bucks team. And he's going to need to be to to do that. He there's gonna be nights where you only get Chris Middleton's used to getting maybe 20 to 24 shots a game. Now that's that number is probably going to go down to 10 to 12. And as a mindset, as a rhythm thing, that affects players. And do not get it twisted. I don't care how good Damian Lillard is. I don't care how good Giannis Antetokounmpo is. While, yes, they're important, they need Chris Milton to buy in to ultimately win a championship. It, And it looked like, obviously, he bought in game one, but we need to see for the duration of the season. But what I needed to see was how Damian Lillard... The, the the thoughts that I thought was going... Let me see this. What I thought was going to happen is exactly what happened. When we looked at that Milwaukee Bucks team, they looked drastically different than any iteration of the Bucks we've seen with Giannis. You... Look. <laughs> the floor was so wide open for Giannis. They are probably going to be the best pick-and-roll tandem we've seen and it kind of looked like surprisingly it looked like they already had chemistry that's why I said the perfect pairing for Giannis is Damian Lillard well I thought it was number two number one would be Steph but Damian Lillard is the perfect type of player to play alongside Giannis and we saw at game one there was absolutely no drop off from either one in fact Damian Lillard looks like (laughs) He looks better than he's ever looked in game one. Again, this is just game. This is just week one. But the exactly what I thought things were going to look like is exactly what they look like. Now, things can change, obviously, but. Right now, from what we saw week one, there is two clear-cut teams in the East that are head head and shoulders better than the rest, and that, of course, is the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. Let's talk about the Celtics for a second. I don't expect Christophs Porzingis to get... 30 points every single game. I And the question is, are the Celtics better now with Porzingis than they were with Robert Williams? And I say, obviously it looks like it. What you saw game, what you saw week one, it looks like they're better off with Christos Porzingis than Robert Williams. And Grant Williams at that. And Drew Holiday looked incredible. They played the Knicks, and Drew Holiday was the primary guard for Julius Randle, which I was shocked about because he pretty much shut Julius Randle down. 
And I would say, I don't know to answer the first question as far as is the Celtics better or are the Celtics better with Christoph Porzingis than they were with Robert Williams. I say I don't know because it's like a pendulum, you know, or it's like a it's like a balance. Obviously, now he did look pretty good as far as rim protecting. I think he had about three or four blocks. That is Christoph Porzingis, but you're obviously not getting the on-ball defense from Porzingis that you got with Robert Williams. Now, yes, you're getting that with Drew Holiday, but you're not really getting that with Porzingis. And the even though Mitchell Robinson tried, the Knicks don't really have a player that can physically dominate in the paint with Christoph Porzingis. They don't have an Joel Embiid. They don't have a Nicole Jokic. But on the flip side, they are much better offensively. Again, you they they have not had a big probably since KG that can put points on the board like that. Jason Tatum was good. And just like I thought he played point guard majority of the night. Again, man, there's there's two clear cut teams. Two clear-cut teams. The Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. And I think that we are kind of barreling towards an Eastern Conference Finals meetup. And I saw all that week one of the NBA Finals. Again, I will reiterate, things can change. But that's what I have. Speaking of week one, and speaking of, we talked about the top two teams, right? And we talked about movement. Well, like I said, Bradley Beal was a huge acquisition this offseason for the Phoenix Suns. They also gave up De'Aaron, no, not De'Aaron, DeAndre Ayton gave up Cameron Payne, who's on the Bucks now. Now, no, Bradley Bill did not play week one. I think he's having some type. He's some type of injured. I'm not 100 percent sure what it is, but he hasn't played. And I know Devin Booker played game one. He looked incredible against Gold State. He didn't play game two against the Lakers. But watching, I know people are probably going to say I'm wrong. And I know people are probably going to critique what I'm going to say next. If you're going to critique anything about this episode, you're probably going to critique this. I saw two teams in the Lakers and the Suns. That are obviously NBA championship caliber teams. But I also did see a gap. Obviously, the Lakers beat the Suns. But mind you, Devin Booker and Bradley Beal did not play. And I agree with every single person that 
that has talked about Anthony Davis this week in this sense. And I've talked about this before on this ep- on this podcast. When you have been doing something for so long, it's very it's damn near impossible to change it on the spot. When you have been not only that, when you've been doing something for so long, but when that thing has brought you success, it's it's almost it's almost crazy to think that you're you're expected to change. For example, we talk about Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook has played the same exact way his entire career. Now that's obviously got him MVPs and top all NBA top 75s and accolades upon all-stars and accolades and that's just his approach to the game that's one of the biggest reasons why it didn't work out for Russell Westbrook on the Lakers because when you've been doing something for so long and now you're expecting me to do something completely different a lot of players I don't care how great you are you're unable to do that Anthony Davis has been the same exact player his entire career Gilbert Arenas said it. Shouts out to him. His consistency is inconsistent. Meaning, one game he'll be incredible. One game he'll look like the dominant Anthony Davis that he is capable of being. Then the next game, or even sometimes the next half, as we saw in game one, he just does he he just doesn't look interested. He doesn't look engaged. He doesn't look aggressive. He fades away. He's been like that his entire career. We talk about Anthony Davis and we look at some of the greatness he or some of the great games and great moments that he had for the Pelicans, that he had for the Lakers. Most of them are followed up by mediocre games or mediocre moments. And watching the Lakers this week, I agree with what Stephen A. Smith said, and I agree with what Charles Barkley said. This team, this Lakers team, is a championship-caliber team only if Anthony Davis is on his A game. Because the same, this is the same thing that I saw from the Lakers a year ago. We have inconsistent shooting. I know Torian Prince shot pretty well. Game one, and I think game two, Gabe York or Gabe Vincent shot pretty well. But it's an inconsistent shooting team. LeBron James is aging. They're putting him on a minutes restriction. I know he went past that in game two, but they're putting him on a minutes restriction because of his age and because you just want him for game for the playoffs. This team looks eerily similar to the team of last year. Now, yes, the team of last year did make it to the Western Conference Finals. But again, if you don't have Anthony Davis playing his A game, it's tough to to expect LeBron James at this point of his career to pick up the slack. He just can't do it. He just can't do it. I think both teams, the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Lakers, are obviously championship caliber teams. And I obviously, and if we want to go to the Phoenix Suns side, 
It's exactly what we thought. <laughs> now, I do. I am very interested because obviously we haven't seen all three, the big three on Phoenix play together. But I'm very interested to see what they look like in a in a regular season game together. But exactly what we thought the Phoenix Suns were going to be is exactly what they are. They're a team that is ex- probably one of the most potent offenses we've ever seen. Because outside of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Bill, you have Eric Gordon. You have uh, Akogi. You have Yusuf Nurkic. They have people that can. Nasir Little was really good, has been really good for the team. They have people that can put the ball in the hole. But they don't have too many defenders. And that's exactly what I saw week one is exactly what I thought they were. They're they're, going to play defense at at certain spots. Can they be average to a little bit above average defensively? But they're going to be exceptional offensively. Exceptional. It's kind of different. In fact, both of those approaches, they kind of we talked about the the balancing act, right? You have one team in the Phoenix Suns that, like I said, mostly offense, not too much defense. Then you have the Lakers that's mostly defense, and their offense is okay because defensively, the Lakers have the ability to be one of the best defensive teams in the league. They're huge pause. You got LeBron, Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves. You have Rui Hachimura. You have D'Angelo Russell, who is taller as a, as a guard. Torian Prince is a big body. They they have the ability to be arguably the best defense in basketball. It's just offensively, if it's it's going to be inconsistent. Vice versa with Phoenix, when you have the scoring punch that you have with Kevin Durant, Bradley Bill, and Devin Booker, and then you also have very good complementary pieces offensively, defensively, it's, it's you know. But I, I, I do wholeheartedly think that both of these teams, the Lakers and the Suns, are definitely championship caliber teams. And I didn't I just need to see what they look like week one, but you can you can kind of feel it. Speaking of feel it, when stories come out, you have to ask yourself. You can always tell. In fact, let me say this: you know how you can tell who leaks a story. Who the story makes look good. When you hear about trade offers and you hear about multiple teams are trying to get X player. Usually X player is their camp are the ones that release that information because it brings up their value. It brings up the bidding cost for them. Or when you when you hear, you know, the team wants him back. But. They're unwilling to. That's usually the team. That means that we're trying everything we can, but they just don't want to come back. In sports, man, it is. There's always two sides, man. There's always the team, and there's the player in his camp. A report came out 
first and foremost, James Harden has been away from the team for like 10 days. And a report came out saying that James Harden tried to get on the plane for the road trip that, of course, Phoenix or Philly is on, and security stopped him. Security stopped him. Like, the kid's like, hey, fam, I don't know where you think you're going, bro, but you're not getting on this plane. So then I had to think, bro. I'm like, yo, who would leak this? Because this doesn't make anyone look good. But I kind of know who think I I feel I don't know, but someone went to went to Shams or Chris Hayes and leaked this. I think it was James Harden's camp. James Harden has been on this path to try to get himself traded, and on that road. He has publicly criticized Daryl Morey. He obviously went absent from the team. He's been very vocal about his disdain for Daryl Morey and his uninterest in playing for the Philadelphia 76ers and his desire to be traded to the Clippers. And we also know as consumers that obviously this deal hasn't happened yet because James Harden is still technically a 76er. And we also know that James Harden has one year left on his deal. So unless the Clippers want to trade him and then instantly give him a contract, there's no point of any team giving up a lot for James Harden, not knowing if he's going to be there for the long term. On top of that, it's very hard to give James Harden a long-term deal because this is the third straight team that he has tried to force his way out of. It was successful two times. This will be the third. And honestly, he is gone, bro. I I I don't know if he's going to the Clippers, but it feels like he's gone. But the reason why I think James Harden's team leaked this is because, yo, this looks horrible. On both parts. So I was trying to think to myself, who does this look better? Who is less horrible? I know that that's not a correct way of saying it, but who looks less horrible in this situation? And it's James Harden. Reports have also come out saying James Harden was dealing with family issues or some of his mom being sick. I don't know the what's true and what's not, but I do know James Harden was not with the team. And to then come back to try to play, for them to tell you, nah, fam, you good, that, sh- that kind of makes James Harden look like, well, I'm trying to play. I'm trying to be the best teammate. Yeah, I may have feelings for Daryl Moore, and I may have feelings about the front office, but I'm trying to be the best for this team, and they're not allowing me. Kenny, Kenny, Kenny Smith said something that, I think was profound about this whole situation and why we are in this situation. 
He pretty much said that nobody has threw water on this fire. Nobody has doused this fire. Nobody on the 76er side. Nobody on James Harden side. No one has said, you know what? We're not talking about it. You know what? We're just going to come in and be the best we can be. And I don't have to you don't have to talk to management like just go and play or manage and say hey we're not going to trade him to the end of the season or right now we're not going to trade him we we want James Harden back for right now and we'll deal things like no one has tried to resolve this issue James Harden going on camera saying Darren Moore is a liar fire James Harden visibly seen at parties when he's supposed to be with the team. Fire. The team obviously not trading him because they're not getting exactly what they want in the deal. Fire. No one has put water on this fire. Listening to a bunch of people talk about this. I do feel that there is a sense of professionalism that has been lost with James Harden. I understand where he's coming from, and I understand what he wants, but there is a level of professionalism that James Harden has completely threw away out, threw out of this situation. And Charles Barkley said, I don't know how he goes back to the team or I don't know how he plays. Uh, James Harden's career is very fragile right now. I don't think he understands that. I don't think he understands that this is starting this is starting to be the first thing you think about when you think of James Harden. Not the fact that he is one of the greatest offensive players we've ever seen. Not the fact of the beard. Not the fact of, you know, he was on the NBA 75. No, this is the thing that we think about when we think of James Harden. How this is the third team in a row that he has tried to force his way out of. He's not a good teammate from what it seems like. Because we, we watched the Philadelphia 76ers play the Bucks the other night. You don't think James Harden would have helped that? You had Kelly Oubre almost dropping 30. You don't think that James Harden could have helped? You have an MV, a reigning MVP on your on the on your team, and James Harden said, Yeah, nah, I'm good on that, bro. Let me go to the team that has a former MVP in Russell Westbrook, but has two players that have been notorious in not finishing seasons due to injury. This is such a messy situation. And one of the re- biggest reasons why I say it's so fragile because James Harden is not the James Harden of old at all. And I don't think he, he hasn't been that for a while. And maybe the James Harden of old could demand a trade like this and, and get it done instantly. But this is the James Harden that has done this three times now. This is the James Harden that, while yes, you did lead the league in assists, I think you averaged like 21 points. This is the James Harden that 
out has only been to the NBA Finals once, and that was alongside Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook as a six man. And this is the same James Harden that has multiple flame outs in the playoffs, including giving up on his team and pretty much quitting game six and seven of last year's finals or last year's playoffs against the Celtics after being up 3-2. I don't know how this is going to end for James Harden or the Sixers, but I do know that this has been a mess and a mess that should have been handled a while ago. So. And the last thing I'm going to talk about before we move off of basketball. I needed to see, actually, I didn't really need to see it. I don't think the Golden State Warriors are championship as a championship caliber team. Anymore. I would love to be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. Golden State looked really good. Even though they did lose, they looked really good against Phoenix. Steph Curry, even though even though Steph Curry and Klay Thompson had bad shooting games, they looked good. Draymond Green didn't play. They looked great. But you can just tell. Again, I would love to be wrong. And if I am wrong, I would definitely come in here and say it. But there was, it it seemed like a, a wide gap. Even though the score didn't reflect that, it seemed like a wide gap between the Suns, that are obvious championship caliber team, and the Golden State Warriors. Even with Draymond Green not being there, and obviously Bradley Bill didn't play. But this is a new look Warriors. You have a player in Chris Paul that needs the ball in his hand to orchestrate. Steph Curry really doesn't. Clay Thompson really doesn't. They can get it when they get it, but. Jonathan Kaminga is going to be more of an asset to this team. He's going to more than likely get more minutes. But the same, and I, I hate talking about this because I feel like a broken record, but the same exact issues that plagued Golden State last year. Because there's there's people in my comments talking about, well, in 2020, 2022, they won a championship. Yeah, well, we're we're about to be in 2024. What happened last year? Last year, they were too small. Game one, they got out-rebounded by the Phoenix Suns by like 13. I think they're good, and I think they're going to be good, and I think they're going to be okay, but right now, right now, I could be wrong, but right now, I wouldn't pick them over the Kings. I wouldn't pick them over the 
Lakers. I wouldn't pick them over the Suns. I wouldn't pick them over the Nuggets. I wouldn't pick them. I, I wouldn't pick them. Age is, plays a factor too. This is a older team. And it's like at some point, age. I'm not saying that they're going to be trash, but age catches up to you. You're playing a young man's sport. And while, yes, you have Steph, but game one, Clay looked bad. Now, people can say he did like kayak to the game, that he could, he could have tired legs. I don't know why you would do that, but that's Clay. I would love to be wrong. I just don't think, and this team has a lot to work out in not a lot of time. And I say not a lot of time. While, yes, you have pretty much a whole season, you can't finish sixth, seventh, eighth, You can, especially in the West, and think you're going to go through a, a Phoenix or go through a, a Denver Nuggets in the first or second round. That's not, that is not ideal. I need to see what... Because I know I, I'm almost sure I could be wrong, but I'm almost sure that Chris Paul is going to come off the bench when Draymond Green gets back. I just need to see what they look like as a team, a full whole team. And as I've stated before, they need to make a move maybe at the trade deadline or before then to get a taller player. Because Dario Sarge, who did have a good game, he is not going to cut it as far as being your tallest player. Golden State is not a championship caliber team right now. And I know you, you can think I'm being hyperbolic. You can think that I'm taking too much out of week one of the NBA season. And I might be. I might be. But I'm compound I'm compounding what I saw what I've seen last year to what I see with this team. And all the questions and all the concerns that we had about this team. Reared its ugly head in game one. They were out-rebounded. They pretty much got, it was a close game, but they were getting, they were down by as much as like 12 a couple times. And if Steph Curry doesn't have a good game, if Klay Thompson doesn't have a good game, or if you're missing one of the big three, you're at a huge deficit. That to me is not a championship caliber team. So, we'll see. We'll see. Let's uh, let's go over to some football. And I, I don't. Let me let me try to be creative here, <laughs> and let me try to come at this at another angle. So Thursday night football happened. The Buffalo Bills beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 24-18. And exactly how you thought the game was going to go is exactly how the game went. Baker Mayfield was okay, but obviously not good enough. Threw for 237 yards, two touchdowns. Josh Allen was incredible. 324 yards through two touchdowns, one interception. You knew that was coming. And Tampa Bay's defense damn near lost it for them, but they didn't. They played, or not Tampa Bay, 
Buffalo's defense damn near lost it for him, but Tampa Bay's quarterback wasn't good enough. And it's starting to be a multitude of reasons why I don't think Buffalo is a championship caliber team or a Super Bowl caliber team. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying about Anthony Davis. This team as a whole is consistently inconsistent. There is no question how talented Josh Allen is. There's no question that Josh Allen is clearly a top 10 quarterback in this league. Hell, if you want to talk about just sheer talent, he might even be a top three. But he also has the interception thing where I think he leads the league in the last two or three seasons in interceptions. And he also has games like Thursday Night Football where he plays incredible and he showcases that he is indeed one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And then he has games like against the Giants or against the Jets or against the Patriots where he loses, where he's the biggest reason why they lose. And I'm not just going to put it on Josh Allen. It's not just Josh Allen. Sean McDermott. Some of his coaching decisions is kind of iffy. This defense... Losing Milano and White is huge. This defense continues to get gashed time after time again. You beat the Buccaneers. Congratulations. I'm not minimizing the Buccaneers, but what I'm saying is the one quote-unquote top team that you've beaten is the Dolphins and we're still trying to figure out are they good against good teams because we know they're great against bad ones but are they good against good teams but and I'm not trying to take away from the win I'm just saying this Buffalo here's the thing and here's the best description of the Buffalo Bills this team is good enough to obviously win a Super Bowl and this team at times plays bad enough that they can miss the playoffs completely. That is the Bills in a nutshell. But shout us out for beating the Buccaneers on Thursday Night Football, um, 18 to 24. And with that, obviously Thursday Night Football, we talk about it every week. That is the start of week of the new NFL week. So you have week eight, and I'm going to give my week eight predictions. Uh, you have the Texans at Panthers. The Panther, I don't know if the Panthers are going to win a game, <laughs> and I don't think the first one is going to be against the Texans. I know they're three and three, but C.J. Stroud, to me, has been incredible majority, if not all of this year. So I have the Texans beating the Panthers. Rams at Cowboys. I have the Cowboys winning that. The Rams, the Rams offensive line is terrible. And when you have a Matthew Stafford, who isn't the most mobile quarterback, especially at this age, and you're relying heavily on timing, it's going to be tough. I just don't, I just don't think the Rams, especially defensively also, defensively, even though you have Aaron Donald, he if he's not really doing anything, 
defense ain't really doing nothing. So I have the Cowboys winning that. Vikings at Green Bay. I have the Vikings. I don't like what I'm seeing from Jordan Love, man. I don't like it. And not just Jordan Love. I don't like what I'm seeing from this offense, mainly because of Jordan Love. So, And the Vikings are coming off a big win against the 49ers. Now, I know that like teams that play the 49ers the next week, they usually lose because of just how physical of a team it is. But I don't like – and it's at Green Bay, but I'm going to go with the Vikings. It's a 1 o'clock game. We know 1 o'clock Kirk. So I got uh, the Vikings. Saints at Colts. I would say the Saints, but the Colts did put up 38 points against um, the Browns. But uh, that's a tough game because the Saints' offense has been trash, but their defense is really good. And you still have Gardner Minshew. And I don't know if Gardner Minshew also, like I said, did put up. mm, I'm going to go with the Colts. I just don't like the Saints' offense. The Saints' offense is trash. Uh, Patriots at Dolphins. The Dolphins, to me, are going to kill the Patriots. Again, it's all about good teams and bad teams. If you're a good team, you're going to lose. I mean, you're, you have a chance against the Dolphins right now. If you're a bad team, you're going to get smoked. I think that the, the Patriots are going to get smoked by the Dolphins. Jets at Giants. Battle of the Mids. <laughs> um, I know Tyrod Taylor's playing again, so I'm going to go with the Giants. Uh, Tyrod Taylor just brings an, a new type of energy to these Giants team. And I still don't like Zach Wilson. So I got uh, I got the Giants. Jaguars at Steelers. I got the Jaguars. Jaguars are one of the best kept secrets of the team of the league as far as how good they are, how good they can be. Let me say that. And even it's still shocking to me how the Steelers are four and two. Shouts out to them. I'm not taking anything from them, but yeah, I just think the, the Jaguars are a little bit better, so I'm going to go with the Jaguars. Falcons at Titans. Mm. Both these teams aren't that good. And the Titans have been dealing with uh, trade rumors for Derrick Henry all week. But Desmond Ritter's trash. So is Ryan Tannehill. I'm not going to say trash. Let me not disrespect them. They're not good. I'm going to go with the Titans. They're at home. The defense is a little better than the Falcons. Derrick Henry's still on the team. So, I'm going to go with the Titans. Boy, Eagles at Commanders. This ain't like last year where, you know, Commanders surprised. No, the Eagles are going to kill the Commanders. The Commanders have the absolute worst offensive line in the league. Sam Howell, I think, is the most sacked quarterback in the league so far. You're going against... The Eagles pass rush. Yeah, no. I'm going to go with the Eagles. Browns at Seahawks. I know Deshaun Watson's not playing. I got the Seahawks winning. I got the Seahawks winning. I know the defense, the Browns are still a good defense, even though they gave up 38 points to get to the Colts. But I got the Seahawks winning. At home, you have Geno Smith. To, yeah, no. Ravens at Cardinals. Uh, the Ravens are one of the best teams in football when they're all, when they're playing right, and I don't think the Cardinals is the team to take them off. Well, they did lose to the Colts, but I don't think the Car- the Cardinals is the team to like take them off their game. So, I have uh the Ravens winning that. Chiefs at Broncos. 
It's going to be a long day for Russell Wilson and that Broncos team. Uh, I got the Chiefs winning. Bengals at 49ers. You know, I don't know about this game uh, because defense, I don't know if Christian McCaffrey's going to play. I don't know if DJ or Debo Samuels is going to play. I don't know if Trent Williams is going to play. And the Bengals have a really good pass rush. They have really good defense this year. And it looks like Joe Burrow might just be back. So I'm going to go with the Bengals. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bengals. Uh, Bears at Chargers. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I promise you. If the Chargers lose this game, I don't think they will. But if the Chargers lose this game, I promise you, Brandon Staley will be sitting on an ESPN or an NFL Live or a NBA t- or NFL Today or – NFL game day, he'll be sitting on his set because he does not have a job as the head coach of a Chargers team. I have the Chargers winning this game, but if they lose to the Bears and was it Taysen Bennett or something? Bag, bag, Bagnet? Boy. Monday Night Football, Raiders at Lions. The Raiders or the Lions are going to, right, yeah, the Lions are going to destroy the, the Raiders, bro. Like it's, Raiders suck. I'm gonna be real with you. The Raiders aren't good. Mm-mm. Not good at all. Those are my predictions. So, speaking of predictions, you have the World Series here, and I don't need to make this too long, but the World Series has arrived, and well, it happened yesterday, obviously, but or yeah, last night. But you have the Rangers and Diamondbacks, a fifth seed going against a uh, a sixth seed. Now the Rangers' road has been incredible. They beat the number one Orioles, Orioles, Orioles. They beat the Astros uh, and the Diamondbacks. They beat the Brewers. They beat the Dodgers, and they beat the Phillies. To me, this. Right now, you have, obviously, the two hot teams, and you have incredible pitching by the Astros against, not the Astros, against the, or the Diamondbacks against incredible hitting at this point by the Rangers. Now, the Rangers does, does have good pitching, don't get me wrong, but right now, Garcia, uh, Adalis Garcia is going crazy. He is Right now, the MVP, in my opinion, of the play of the World Series, um, or World Series, you know, playoffs. Uh, to me, the Rangers are the hot. Mm, the Rangers are the hottest team in base, or are, are the hotter, better team, in my opinion. They had to go against a tougher road, even though they did beat the, the Diamondbacks, did beat the Dodgers and the Phillies, but. The Rangers had to beat the Orioles, who was number one team, and the Astros. So I just think that the Rangers are a little better, and I think that the Rangers are going to win the World Series. I just, I, for some, to me, the Diamondbacks should have been lost. Now, I know the Rangers probably should have been lost, but the Diamondbacks should have been lost. And they have, they have, it's been an incredible run. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not talking crap about the, the Diamondbacks, but 
I do think the Diamondbacks should have been lost. And the Rangers are playing their best baseball, obviously, right now, as well as the Diamondbacks. But I just think when they're playing their best, the Rangers are a little better than the Diamondbacks. So I am going to go with the Diamond or Rangers winning the World Series. We'll see. Then we get to the unpopular topic of the week. Now, this isn't really an unpopular topic. This is, I'm going to dedicate this, or today's episode, and the unpopular topic of the day, I'm sorry, popular topic of the day. I'm going to devote this one to sending out congratulations. When we talk about African Americans in sports, Or black people in sports, whether African-American, whether a different ethnicity. You, they dominate. When we talk about basketball, when we talk about baseball, as far as, you know, Hispanics and everything, when we talk about football. Black people dominate in sports. But that hasn't translated pretty much into ownership or into management and it's very tough and very few and far between that you'll see a african-american or black head coach or black manager in baseball or or a black head coach even though there's more black head coaches in basketball now but that's still a fight or football So to have someone like a Mike Tomlin, to have someone like a Tyron Lue, to have someone like um, Doc Rivers, who was a head coach for a while, that is rare. While African-Americans dominate on the floor, on the court, or on the field, or on the court, It still hasn't translated as much as it should to upper management. So to see that Dusty Baker retired from the MLB as a manager after 26 years has to be highlighted and has to be commended. It's very hard to be a... a inspiring figure in sports because you have not only you have to do something that you have to make change somewhere you have to do something and use your platform to advance something and you have to be very successful at your platform like i said there is a plethora there is an ass load of African-American players. But how many of them are really are really at that level that you can say they have changed the game or they've changed the way that African-Americans are viewed in sports? There's not many of them. Baker or Dusty Baker is one of them. Dusty Baker will go down as one of the greatest MLB managers ever. 
Not just because of what he's done. Obviously, he's won a couple World Series. But because of the fact that you were able to not only break through in an industry that doesn't usually have African-American managers, but you were able to do it with multiple teams for 26 seasons. And the game of baseball, will ne- especially when we talk about managers, will never be the same after D- Dusty Baker. So, this unpopular topic of the day segment is pretty much a congratulations and shouts out to you, Dusty Baker, for successfully retiring from baseball as a manager after 26 seasons. Something that not a lot of African-Americans can say. Shouts out to you. I wish you nothing but the best. I wish you nothing but success in retirement. And thank you for being a pioneer in baseball. And there you have it. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube. Please subscribe to wherever you're listening. I'm trying to grow as much as I can, and I can't do it without you guys. So tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. It means a lot. If you get to this point in the episode, you're not subscribed. I don't I don't know, bro. <laughs> but I appreciate you guys. Um, also, follow the socials. Follow Instagram. Follow TikTok. I post pretty much daily. I have conversations. I have debates with people uh, on those apps as well as obviously the comments in youtube so definitely follow i hope you guys enjoy your weekend and until next time much love